Testament epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. It is that time to get started again, praise the Lord. Romans chapter 14, we left off in the middle of a discussion, in the middle of a chapter, which we will pick up this morning after we ask the Lord to bless us. (laughs) Father God, we do ask you to bless us, and it's something that you enjoy doing. The blessing involves opening our hearts giving us the spiritual discernment that we need for these truths to understand them so that they could be helpful as we put them into practice. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Seems like these days everyone is offended about something. Offended by everything and by everybody. And I laughed at the article entitled 25 Reasons I'm Offended That You're Offended. (laughs) It's a vicious cycle out there. I love this meme that I saw the other day. Good morning, America. What are we offended by today? He's the perfect guy uh, for that meme. (laughs) Gene Wilder, funny guy. Uh, Thank you for that. Now, uh, getting one's feathers all in a ruffle may abound in this world all around us, but it should not and must not have really any part in the assembly of God's people, the community of the called out ones. the, The word church means to be called out of all of that and to create something that's not a place of criticizing and of being offended, but where love covers over a multitude of sins where we show grace and overlook petty uh, offenses so that we're not constantly at odds with one another. Jesus called this place, uh, the church, a city on a hill. He said, you guys are the light of the world. And so that's not going to happen unless there's peace and unity. And peace and unity is not going to happen unless we're in agreement with one another. So this morning, some more uh, instruction here in Romans 14 about how Christians ought to live to get along with one another. And it seems the best way to handle offenses is not to create them in the first place. And so now uh, this well-known passage here in Romans 14, which kind of spills over into the following chapter, chapter 15 as well, which we did begin last week. Uh, We're we're not talking about the typical offense uh, character problem when someone is being rude or misspeaks or is self-absorbed or uh, acts inappropriately. God does ask us to uh, be patient and extend grace and forgiveness in those matters, but that's not the kind of offense that we're talking about in Romans 14. The kind of offending and being offending that's going on in first century Rome in a lot of churches, both then and now, are when Christians hold strong personal convictions about non-moral matters, they just have come up with some ideas what's what's right for them and what's wrong for them, and then uh, they are contrary to other Christians. And since there's no chapter and verse to turn to, though you can try to make your case, the Bible seems to be quiet in these matters. We call them matters of conscience. And so that's the source of it. We call them disputable matters because that's what Paul labeled them. 
In other words, you can make a case either way for why you're doing something or not doing something. And in and of itself, these are issues uh, really that are morally neutral in and of themselves. There's no right or wrong about it. Uh, And so that's why we call it it matters of uh, conscience. Now, when you disagree with somebody about that kind of thing, you're supposed to suspend judgment. Live and let live. They have a master. Uh, There's no chapter and verse. Clearly, there's no sin. In your mind, they're doing something lesser or more worldly, or they should be doing something that's more godly. In your opinion, he says, then you need to suspend judgment and don't get offended and don't cause an offense. Now, before we even get started, I would like to clear up that we are not talking about indisputable matters, uh, a.k.a. God's commands. We're not talking about suspending judgment on somebody who says, I don't have a conviction about cheating on my taxes. Oh, there should have been a response there, I I think. Yeah, you don't get a right to say, well, I don't have a conviction about uh, obeying the law or sleeping with somebody before I'm married to them. This isn't what we're talking about. Disputable matters. Disputable matters is it's not clear whether you should celebrate trick-or-treat or not or have a glass of wine or enjoy a beer, or go to that kind of movie more than a PG. It's just rated R for violence. That's, a, that's between you and God. These are matters that we're talking about, not God's commands, right? We don't differ on God's commands. Those are, are issues of discipleship and ministry and accountability. We talk about those kinds of things. But if you want to talk about whether or not Christian kids should go on an Easter hunt, you need to suspend judgment. If that's your opinion, then do it or don't do it. But you cannot force it on somebody else. You cannot look down your nose and you cannot condemn somebody doing wrong because it's your personal opinion. There, we cleared that up. Now, what were the problems, the disputable matters there in first century Rome? Then we'll pick up. You got to know this because we're in the middle of a conversation. It won't make sense to throw the scriptures up there unless you know what we're talking about. And so just a little bit. Their problems, number one, were dietary restrictions. Should I abstain from certain foods, spiritually speaking? Not about health. Am I free to eat Everything or abstain from something, some Christians there in Rome would say no. They had the weaker understanding of the faith, and they said that meat was offered to Zeus, and they put incense on it, and they prayed over it, and offered it to Zeus. How can I, as a Christian, partake? That was the weaker stance, and so some Christians were divided. The other guy who had stronger knowledge in the faith said, are you kidding me? It's a great cut of beef. It's a great price there at the pagan temple. Zeus Zeus is a myth. I serve the living God who made heaven and earth. Barbecues at three, people. (laughs) And that was the problem. That was the problem in front of the guy who was a vegan because he said, how could you? It's demons. They're chanting to demons dancing around the cow, and then they butcher it, and ooh, it's got demonic activity to it, and he'd say, barbecue at three, Buster, baby. You big, ah, Paul's like, oh, no. Your sin in how you're treating him, though you may be right, is dead wrong. Now you're the problem. The second thing was drinking wine, and then was the same problem. Oh, they love to pour out wine and bless it in the name of their deities and use wine in all kinds of nasty ways. And somebody who got saved out of that said, no, can, do. That's a sin for me. 
and other people who had no involvement whatsoever and had full control of their faculties and self-control and had never been drunk once because drunkenness is always a sin. But for some people, that they don't get drunk. They don't like to be drunk. They're in full self-control and they enjoy wine. And they said, I am free to do that. I don't get any pigs from my conscience. There's no thou shalt drink wine in the Bible. In fact, there's some scriptures that say wine was given to us by God. And so therefore, disputable matters. Ah, you can make, you can dispute. You can say, well, what about this scripture? What about this scripture? But there's nothing clear and definitive. And so in those regards, you have to suspend judgment. One more, and then we dive in. Observing holidays. There were some Jews in the Roman Empire who heard the gospel and got saved. And they became Christians now with Jewish backgrounds. And uh, it was a big deal to keep the Sabbath. And it was a big, de- big deal all their lives to keep Passover and the Feast of Trumpets. And for them, they knew they were saved in Jesus. They found value in keeping the day. And when they didn't keep the Sabbath, they got a little ping. And then they felt like, oh, I'm doing something wrong, even though the stronger Jewish Christian was saying, hey, man, I don't have to keep the Sabbath because Jesus is our Sabbath, like the New Testament and the Apostle Paul teaches us. He didn't have a ping. And so he's like, I, I'm going to go hunting and fishing on the Sabbath. And the other one's like, you sinner. All right? So the judgment from the weaker is always, I'm more holy, more godly than you, and you are in the wrong. And the other one looks down and just says, and writes them off and despises them and says, you're a big baby. You don't know what you're talking about. Read your Bible. So it's that kind of clashing and offending that was going on. And Paul came up with three considerations that would help. And now we're going to look at three more. The first three was in matters, in matters that don't matter. In matters that are not moral. Number one, make up your own mind. Number two, live and let live unto the Lord. They have a master. The gray areas belong to God. Every area belongs to God, but especially the matters of the heart. We can't judge somebody because we don't know what's going on in their brains and their hearts and their past experiences. Ran out of oxygen there. (laughs) Their past experiences dictate why they can't do something which you didn't know. But if you knew that, you'd go, oh, no wonder the guy doesn't want to go surfing anymore because of his past terrible, immoral experience surfing. And for him, he just thinks it's better to abstain from that. It makes sense if you listen to the guy, but you don't know that because you're not his master. So, and the last thing he said was, besides stop looking down your noses and condemning people for their different opinions. This is the point I really wish I could bring home. To convince somebody that, sir, is your opinion. No, it isn't. It says right here. And then they'll quote a scripture about the topic. Ah, sorry. You wish you could have a scripture that says, thou shalt never do what I think is wrong. Sorry. Sorry, you're not going to find it. And unless you do, and then you find it, and then we're all on board with you because it's a command, and we're all under it. <laughs> Nobody can say, oh, I don't feel like observing a commandment. You can't have your own opinion when God has expressed his. Amen? Amen. I'll say that one more time because I enjoyed it. (laughs) You can't have your own personal opinion about something when God Almighty has already revealed his. Finally. All right. Now, he told you what he thought, three things, and now he's got three more things. And so, here we go. Therefore, 
Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm a Christian. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I know the Lord. I get the Christian lifestyle. I I understand things. I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as defiling or wrong or sinful or worldly, then for him it is. Verse 15, if your brother is distressed because of what you're eating in his face, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating, it's my right, destroy, unravel, upset, Your brother for whom Christ died, verse 16. Don't allow Christian liberty, something considered good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is so much more than this. It's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. He goes on, as he often does. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual building up. Do not tear down, destroy the work of God for the sake of your opinion about a cheeseburger. (laughs) That's not in the Greek, necessarily. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes somebody else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that causes your brother to fall. Oh, that's the sticking point. Verse 21 is the point that we all don't like to hear. What, do I have to curtail my freedom for somebody else? Uh, yeah. 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God, please. Blessed is the person who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but the man who has doubts and goes ahead and does it anyway is wrong, is sinning, not condemned to hell condemned in the action as wrong if he eats because his eating doesn't come from the faith that God has said it's okay. And everything that doesn't come from faith that God has approved this thing is sin. So I added a few words for clarity there. So delving a little bit deeper, thank you for that. Now, as we get started, he brings the hammer, and he's, he, he's asking them, okay, this isn't a question about what's okay for you and what's not okay for you. There's a larger question looming here. And what is the larger question? How does my behavior impact a brother or sister in Christ? The question isn't, are you okay doing the thing? It's how you're expressing your Christian liberty and how it impacts others. Is it helpful or is it a hindrance? Yeah. You can be technically right and morally wrong. And that's what this is about. So he says here three more exhortations. We're going to divide that big paragraph into three little ones with three additional exhortations to help keep offending at a minimal. Number one, he says, when you differ with your brother about a morally neutral conviction of a lifestyle, number one, act in love. Verses 13 through 16, note takers. Number two, make every effort. Bend over backwards to make peace to be helpful, to be sensitive. Uh, Number three, and keep your personal opinions to yourself. We'll talk about that. It does sound like the Holy Spirit is saying, mind your own business, but we'll see what that really 
means. And so I'm going to isolate that first part about acting in love, and we'll walk through. But I like to paraphrase because you just heard it read. So follow me along, and I'll paraphrase it for you. Verse 13, okay, let's quit criticizing one another. Instead, make up your mind, you especially with the liberty, because that's really the... He's talking to the stronger believer, really. Not to trip up your brother or hinder his walk with God. Verse 14, as a Christian, I'm 100% positive that all food is, quote, clean. In other words, okay to eat anything. But if someone thinks something is wrong to eat, for them, it's wrong. Verse 15. And if your brother or sister in Christ is undone by something you're eating, that's not very loving. Don't ruin your brother's faith for whom Christ died simply because you have a choice to eat something. Verse 16, don't give Christian liberty a bad name by your insensitive behavior. All right, so you've got that up there to be thinking and following me as I make my comments and applications here. So it uh, appears that Paul is now aiming his sh- and kind of shifting to the brother who has the stronger knowledge in the faith for good reason, because as he tells in the same parallel passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he warns believers who are smart up here and know what Christ requires and what he's fulfilled and what I can do. Watch out, he says, because knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And that was the pitfall of being the stronger person with all the knowledge, you know? That Zeus is just a myth. Come on, get get it together. What, What came with it was arrogance and a lack of love for others who don't have the knowledge or maturity or depth of understanding that you do. All right, so that was the problem there with the stronger ones. And The stronger ones just tended to dismiss or devalue the weaker ones. And those who were regarded as weaker in the knowledge of the faith, they had many restrictions. They tended to judge the Greek word krino, K-R-I-N-O, note takers. Uh, And they just love to condemn people, you know. Oh, my word. Is that a jack-o'-lantern on your doorstep? Can I tell you the roots of what Halloween is all about? Well, you, you see, we have strong opinions, I'm sure, even in this room, about Halloween. I'm sure we do. But there is no scripture that says thou shalt not trick or treat. And so we, we are going to have to, and, and the weaker ones will, but, 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 the stronger ones can make a case as well. So this, that would be a perfect illustration of suspend judgment. Don't think you're better than everybody else. And the ones who think they're better are typically the one with more personal restrictions. Well, I don't do that. You do that? Okay, I'll be praying for you. (laughs) That's just right. It's so cool, he says, we're happy for you. Uh, The angels are singing. You've made a conviction. Good for you. You've done nothing wrong. Just don't. Force it on somebody else. Just don't condemn somebody else. Don't make it a matter of a relational friction. That's what you have to do. Yeah, so the big thing would be the stronger to the weaker says, you baby, get over it. And the weaker to the stronger says, you sinner, repent. <laughs> okay, so that was what was going on. Now he's appealing to the stronger here in verse 13. 
19, he says, uh, to both of them really, starts out with a general uh, exhortation. Stop criticizing each other. Just stop. Wait for the Lord. Judgment day is coming. Work on your own life in these non-moral matters. All the other matters, they're, 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 we are our brother's keeper. We deal in redemptive and appropriate ways. We do life together. We do koinia together. So we sort of have to be involved in each other's lives. Here's what he's saying, verse 13. If you're not careful, your Christian liberty is going to blow a hole through the hull of your brother or sister's boat. Do you want to do that? There are two ways in your text that a stronger believer with the wrong attitude will harm uh, a, another Christian with a, a, a higher degree of conscience. Okay, uh, now 13b says, with your liberty, with the wrong attitude, without love, is gonna put a stumbling block in somebody's mind. So it, it may literally means something to trip over. So it's like you're you as a Christian with your Liberty, oh, that's not a problem for me, and it shouldn't be a problem for you. You put your leg out. You put your leg out. Whoops, you didn't see that? And they go flying over it. Have you ever tripped over the coffee table at night? It's an unpleasant experience. (laughs) He's talking about spiritual things. The second word there is obstacle. It's something more insidious. It's a scandal you're tempting them. You're tempting them. I can't eat it over at the temple, the pagan temple, where they butcher the meat and sell it there. I can't eat there. It's a temple. I used to worship there. Oh, man, it's not really a temple. Is there such thing as a temple? (laughs) Yeah, but they're offering it up to demons, and I can't go over there. Oh, you big babe. You're tempting him to sin against what Paul is going to say counts for something in God's eyes. He has a legitimate conviction, which God says, if you violate your conviction, you're sinning. Now, if he comes to you and says, hey, talk to me about Zeus, you know, and God, and does that, that, that incense, and he wants to know, and he doesn't necessarily have a ping. He's confused. He's a young believer and he wants to know in Christ, do I really have the freedom to buy that meat? Because it looks pretty good. Not going to lie. And you could talk to him about that. That's a different thing. Instead of enticing somebody to do what their conscience tells them, no. He says, you're going to blow a hole in the side of his vessel because now he's tripped up. He he has guilt, his relationship with God, he he may be discouraged, and worse, he may end up going back into a lifestyle that didn't affect you, didn't affect you, but it was affecting him, and that's why he had a ping, so he says, listen, as an apostle, I get it. You can eat anything. Jesus made it clear when he said, you guys are so concerned about what goes into your mouth, and still, 2,000 years later, oh my word, Christians and their diets, praise the Lord. (laughs) Oh my. If we spent a quarter of the time with the energy we put into diets, into dieting from gossip and unholiness and watching too much TV, and saying things we ought not to say, we'd be a whole lot better off than if we cut out sugar. Amen? Amen. I needed a little bit more there. (laughs) I'm sorry for stepping on your toes so early in the morning. Jesus pronounced all things clear, clean, food-wise, Mark says, and so he goes, I get it. But if someone thinks they're sinning by eating meat offered to Zeus, Verse 14, for him, it's sin. And so here's what he wants. He wants to get through to the stronger guy who's being cavalier. I I know the truth, man. And so he's talking to a guy who can't eat the Zeus meat, and he's just being cavalier about it. No, he's saying, listen, you... This is a big deal. This is what he wants to get a point across to the person with the knowledge and the freedom. It's a serious 
deadly serious thing for somebody to have a conviction against something. So you have to tiptoe and be sensitive about it and not cavalier. Like, <laughs> Zeus schmoose, man. No, no, no. That's not going to work. That's what he's trying to say. Um, you want to avoid influencing them to sin against their own conscience uh, by your careless words or your insensitive behavior that they see. Story time. You ready? 10 years ago, I was at the Redwood Gospel Mission and I was preaching in one of their general services. I had a bunch of rock guys with me. I had uh, the, some of our, we call them the mission boys who go to our church, they were around. I preached the gospel there. I used to do that on occasion. Uh, and there was a worship team there. The worship team was, this is 10 years ago. The worship team was not from our church. I was the preacher from our church and they had a worship team from another church. After the service, we decided to go to Chevy's and everybody was invited. Some of the mission boys, the worship team, me, my friends. When we got there, the worship team ordered margaritas and beer. Now, hold on. You need to suspend thy judgment <laughs> until I judge them. <laughs> I was surprised because let's talk, and here's what I said to them afterwards in private. Brothers, I'm a little concerned that that showed a lack of love, a lack of sensitivity, and a lack of wisdom. Considering we were at a Redwood Gospel mission, the men in question are all struggling, weak believers, just climbing out of the hole from substance abuse, and you were leading from a platform in Jesus' name and then ordered not wine or beer, but a margarita. <laughs> I've got a problem with that. And here's your quintessential, thank you, Jesus, that they had the hard heart that they did because it's perfect for this passage. Pushing back with a hard and haughty attitude. Well, Ross, let me tell you about my Christian freedom. Where are you going to say, thou shalt not have a beer at Chevy's? And I said, let me show you Romans 14. Why don't we go back and forth here a little bit? But here's the attitude. Why do I have to bend over backwards in something I know is right and here's the answer. Because of love, you have just negated your great Christian um, gift by your great lack of love. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says, oh, if I could do this, and I can do this, and I can do this, and I have all knowledge. Oh, there it is. Oh, I've got knowledge. I didn't do anything wrong. Except you weren't loving. And God be merciful to you if because of admiring you and you touching their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, they are inclined to follow you in that behavior and end up back under a bridge because you couldn't say no just one time to your Christian liberty in light of the wisdom here. Their idea was they have to grow up someday they have to grow up someday. Yeah, but it won't be because their worship leader was seen throwing back a margarita. They'll have to grow up some other way, yeah. This is what he's talking about here. When you've got God's people watching and they're weak and they're broken and they're just trying to come to life, and that cavalier, arrogant thing that we all do. Why do I have to give up when I can sooner write big babies? That's going to cost people on Judgment Day, Christian or no. Just going to be cost. That's not a good thing. So Christian liberty without love 
puts a stumbling block, an obstacle to the path. What they do in the privacy of their own home on a different occasion, it would have been perfectly fine. I'm not God. I don't know about what he requires of them in these matters. But I certainly, if I would have run into them on a different day, it's a whole nother story. Hey, man, what's up? I wouldn't have even winced. I wouldn't have cringed. Because what do I know? It's a personal opinion. So I would suspend judgment, even though I have my own personal opinions about worship people and pastoral people in public. I've got an opinion about that. I probably think you can guess what it is. Moving on. (laughs) Next paragraph. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but a lot more than that. I'll paraphrase. I like to do this. You follow along. So then the Christian life is so very much more than rules about what we can eat and what we can drink and no, I can't do that. No, no. What is it about? It's about being right with God, righteousness. It's about living at peace with each other and with him and enjoying the joy that the Holy Spirit brings in our midst. It's about our new life, right? Verse 18. Because if you serve Christ with this attitude about being right with God, living for God, all of this peace and love, you'll be pleasing God. And you'll be esteemed, is the Greek word there, uh, by others too. Uh, Verse um, 19 We must therefore spare no expense. We must bend over backwards to do whatever leads to peace and mutual encouragement, building each other up. Verse 20, please don't ruin what God is trying to accomplish in the church for the sake of, and then I've got fill in the blank, for the sake of a beer, for the sake of trick-or-treating, for the sake of uh, whatever it is that you're going to push somebody over the edge about. He says, there it's dietary rules. God has given us the green light on all food, but it's wrong for you to eat something that causes somebody to stumble in their faith. It's just better to give the thing up, abstain from that thing in that situation rather than risk causing a fellow Christian harm. Now, it is good to abstain, but you can't run your life by people who, uh, sadly, uh, are neurotic and they have a ping for every day of the week and every minute of the day. And so those kinds of things, you can't possibly, I can't tell you enough as a pastor, I, I can't run the church the way everybody has personal convictions. What's the cross doing over there? Uh, hanging? <laughs> You know, why is there a dove up here, right? Why didn't you reverse it? Why do you have symbols at all? Why do you have the drums? Why all of these convictions? You, you cannot accommodate everybody. What he's talking about is when it's a reasonable request, i.e. Chevy's is a perfect example that now would be the time right there for you to say uh, either I don't do this in public uh, when he talks about giving up our uh, liberties lest we stumble somebody. Uh, it's, it's primarily occasion by occasion. Moment by moment. Being sensitive to the situation. So let's dive in here. The second thing, make every effort. So I love verse 17. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because he's saying, really, have you really trivialized the Christian life down to, uh, you know, I can't eat pork and I can't tell Santa, Santa stories at Christmas because Christians don't do that. And, and, uh, and alike, you know, are tab, tattoos taboo? How about body piercing? Is this what the Christian life, this is what he's asking. He's saying, is the Christian life about rules and regulation? Oh, you can't color on yourself, you know, or you can't, is one, one ear piercing okay? 
and a nose thing because Rebecca had one. But what if you moved it over here a little bit? Is it wrong then? Or uh, what if you have two piercings? Or what if it goes all the way up? That's bad. What about gauges? What if your lobes are big? You know, I can assure you, I can assure you on Judgment Day, the angels are not going to come out with measured ring tape. Or I can assure you, measure those lobes because we're going to deal with you. All right? No, he's going to say his heart. Let's measure his heart. Let's measure his tongue. For all the lies and all the slanderous cut downs and all the profane words that came forth. With it, he praised me and cursed men. Let's talk about those things. I guarantee you, the earlobes and what's colored on their shoulder isn't going to count. And here's the deal. Here's what... The world is looking. This is why he's asking the question. He's saying, what's the kingdom of God like? Well, what does the world think? Well, it's how long your hair is and what kind of clothes you wear or if you wear makeup or jewelry. Let's go back a few years to denominations that made that an issue. That's what being a Christian is. Whether or not you go here or do that or what radio station is godly and what radio station is of the devil. Well, come on. If you don't like to listen to that radio station, two thumbs up for you. But you can't tell the world that what the kingdom of God is about is making sure that you listen to only this kind of music. Because that's what they think. They think we've got a whole host of do's and don'ts. This is bad, this is good, this is bad. Now, there are do's and don'ts. Like the real ones. Like sexual immorality and greed and coveting and slandering and lying and gossiping. Yeah, those are do's and don'ts. We got those. Sorry. Guilty as charged. We repent of those things. But can you not turn the kingdom of God into a matter about squabbling, about whether or not there should be a Christmas tree in a church? And so the unbelievers come in and say, what's, you know, what's going on? Well, Deacon here is fighting with Deacon B because they brought in a Christmas tree and put it on the platform, the same platform with the Holy Cross. The Christmas tree was some sort of pagan thing. You know what? I'm going to move on. <laughs> if you don't like Christmas trees, you've got my two thumbs up. I, I can kind of get where you're at with that. But you're not allowed to push that on anybody else because that's what doesn't promote mutual peace and encouragement. And that's where we get offenses and that's what we're supposed to be avoiding. So what is righteousness? He says, you know what church is about? The kingdom of God is about life, the Holy Spirit, new life, being right with God. That means new birth. That means character and, and moral transformation and generosity and repentance and marriages coming to life and men stopping doing porn. That whether or not we do Easter eggs or smoke a cigar, it's about whether or not we do porn like the rest of these hell bound sinners who are going to perish because that you cannot go to heaven when you live sexually immoral lives. That's the kingdom of God. It's about righteousness and the peace that comes from being right with God and living right and loving God and loving his people. All of this beautiful peace. And then he says, he goes on to say, um, do not ruin the work of God there in the text over personal opinions. <laughs> That's unbelievable. God's doing a work and you're about, can you put cheese on the burger? Because in kosher uh, understanding, you can have a hamburger, but you can't put the cheese on it. All right? And so he's saying, you're going to ruin the work of God because of cheese on the hamburger. 
There's something bigger going on in the restaurant besides the cheese on the burger and you're right to eat a cheeseburger. It's called the work of God. So when you're with the morally sensitive person from Sebastopol who, do, who, who loves animals and can't, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean that as a slam. They could have been from anywhere. I shouldn't have said that. I'll know better next service. I'll say they're from Santa Monica. If, and they could be. That you, then you order the vegan thing. You're sitting with them. You don't order the pulled pork sandwich with the converted Jew. Who's got an issue with that? Almost he ordered it first. And then you say, you want to see pork? And then you go crazy. <laughs> he says, yeah, don't do that. Um, yeah, let's finish up because we've got communion too. Next paragraph. Please. Thank you. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. That means private. Blessed is the man who doesn't condemn himself by what he approves, but the man who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and everything that doesn't come from faith that it's okay to do, your personal conviction in Christ is a sin. Now, this is a big deal. And maybe the most important point, so act in love, Make every effort and uh, keep your personal opinions private. So I've already said discipleship and life together is called koinonia. So we really do life together. We know a lot about each other. And, you know, but there are some common sense, spiritually discernible boundaries that often get blurred between Christians. And one of them is your personal opinions. Now, sometimes people will ask. So he's not saying that you cannot teach if somebody's asking. Well, what about Christian liberty in this area? I know there's Christians who think this, Christians who think this. What, what do you think? Yeah, you can do that. What he's saying, keep between you and your, you and God, is that pushing, forceful thing. There was a guy at a Bible college who gave me a bad time because I went to church. It was the 80s. I don't know, it was a denomination that's a little more conservative and gave me a hard time for showing up in jeans and sneakers. And so he said, you know, don't you think God deserves your best? And uh, he was always wearing slacks and a suit. And uh, he said, young man, you need to give God your best. And it bummed me out for about four Sundays. You know, it didn't lead to peace and edification. It led to making me feel like God was displeased with me on Sunday morning, and I felt it. Ruined my worship. Because I was like, oh, this isn't my best, right? Actually, it was my best. <laughs> that was the problem. I was this poor 20-year-old, you know? And so the point is, whatever you think about giving God your best, praise the Lord for people who wear suits in church, you can't force that on anybody else. That's your personal opinion. And so that's, that's what he's talking about. Keep that peace between you and God. And so <clears throat> I think what's important here is he's saying in verse 22, he's saying it's such a blessing to live in such a way that you have chosen things that, that at the end of the day, your conscience doesn't condemn you. You're a happy believer. You have made correct choices and you live within your, your boundaries of convictions and you, at the end of the day, you have no reason to condemn yourself because you lay your head down on a pillow with a clear conscience. He says, that's blessed. But if you have convictions, and here's what he says, if you doubt in your faith that God had says this thing is okay for you. That's what that means by if you doubt in your faith. 
the, the sheer fact that you're unsure and unsettled and doubt and waver back and forth, oh, I did it this time, oh, I shouldn't have done, is clearly excluding it from acceptable behavior for you, clearly. Well, maybe my conscience just broke. Well, whatever it is, he says, and he uses the word sin to show you that God has displeasure when we live contrary to our conscience and our convictions. So whatever it is, your mind, just you, it bothers you for whatever reason, the advice is don't do it. And here's what one preacher said, and I just repeat it for years. Do not justify with your mind what, what your heart condemns. But, 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 no, it condemns it. End of story. I don't, if you don't feel right, what am I doing back in this relationship? What am I doing with this arrangement? What am I doing at this place? What am I doing with this thing? And you got a ping? Listening. Oh, there it is. If you get one of those, next service, it'll be right on cue. Won't it? Just kidding. <laughs> I knew it worked. When you get a ping, stop doing the thing. Or I like that a lot better than you did. Listen, or when, or, and people forget this part. When you get a ping, start doing the thing. Pings work with stopping or starting. Right? This is what he's saying. Make sure you're clear. And when you're clear, you know. And then at the end of the day, there's no reason for condemnation. But if you're not clear, abstain. And this makes God pleased. Let's pray. Father God, now as we consider communion, help us to see the inspiration behind uh, serving others and curtailing our own mm, comfort and convenience for those who uh, are weaker around us. Um, speak to our hearts, we pray, about these complicated matters. In Christ's name, all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.